0: brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the
1: Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, a little belated Merry Christmas and a little preemptive Happy New Year, buddy.
1: Yeah, same to you, man. How was your holiday?
0: It was good. I uh, went up to my brothers and hung out with them for a while. I uh, went up to Indy, went down to Jasper, and spent some time with my nieces and nephews, and of course, did a lot of drafting and streaming. How about you? Uh, yeah. I, you know, I spent
1: all of last week in New Jersey and New York seeing friends and family, came back here. I did, unfortunately, have to work Christmas Eve and Christmas Day, but that actually was totally fine. I worked like just the morning and then went over to my in-laws uh, both days, and that was really nice. Just got to spend some low-key time with uh, with her family. So, pretty good holiday. Looking forward to the new year
0: yeah we also survived the 15 hour stream barely
1: (laughs) barely yeah that was a struggle bus especially because my uh my computer was not cooperating but we finally got there for the second half um 15 hours is a lot i don't i still every time like i don't know how people do 24 hour streams yeah it seems miserable to me (laughs) yeah i think we maybe we'll 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 cut it down to 12 we'll slowly it'll just be like a two hour stream eventually yeah (laughs) (laughs) somewhere down the road yeah yeah uh so that was super fun thank you all for everyone who hung out with us during the 15 hour stream it's uh It's a blast to get to do. It's mostly just an excuse, like all of our perks. It's just an excuse for us to get to talk about or play magic.
0: You know what we need to do? We just need to make the achievements crazy
1: hard for the next set. There you go. That's what we'll do. Yeah, just like stupid, impossible, a bunch of mythics in combo with each other. Though I still feel like there's a couple sickos out there who will knock those off. Looking at you, Generation D20. Yep. All right. So we've got uh, a sort of saying goodbye to Guilds of Ravnica set here. With uh, a 50 takes in 50 minutes episode. We did this once before for Dominaria for our 50th episode. And it was super well received and was a sort of like fun way to rattle off a bunch of thoughts about the format that we had. And so I thought that we could uh, do that again today, Ben. What do you think? Yeah, I am locked and loaded. All right, sweet. So before we get into that we got to talk about our Patreon. The first full year of having patreon.com slash Lords of Limited available to folks to give back to the show has been incredible for us to see the growth of this community. Um, And you can see the growth of that community most highlighted in the Lords of Limited Discord. That you get access to for any donation level on the Patreon, head over to patreon.com. You can uh, see a bunch of rewards for a a number of different tiers. But the the Discord is, I think, really the biggest draw to the Patreon, a really great place for a community of limited lovers like you and me. Get access to pick our brains, get access to pick some pros brains, get access to just pick the brains of a lot of people who are like-minded, limited junkies. Like yourself. I assume that's who you are when you're coming to listen to the show here. Um, so go over to patreon.com slash Lords of Limited if you're interested in giving back to the show. And of course, we also want to make sure that we shout out each and every new patron the first week that they join. So this week, we want to welcome Jeff, Jonathan, Michael, Jan, Johan, GRBU Dub, James, and Peter. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support.
0: Yeah, after one full year of the Patreon running, I am just blown away by the support from the Magic Card community. If you had told me that when we started, uh, first of all, we never would have started this without the encouragement from you all. And then that is true that it would have been this wildly successful uh, it was just just awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, it really, really means a lot to us.
1: All right. So I think, you know, we've got a lot to do. We got 50 minutes of material to get through today. Ben, I am going to start a little timer here. I don't want to put any pressure on you. uh Oh, OK. So are you ready? We are about to dive into 50 GRN takes in 50 minutes. You ready, Ben? Let's do it. All right. Three, two, one. Go.
0: Take number one. Healer's Hawk is the best white common. And I don't even think it's particularly close anymore. (laughs) I I think I agree with you. Yeah. I took Healer's Hawk over Conclave Tribunal last night on Arena. That seems
1: insane to me but also might be correct i don't know arena's a whole other beast we'll be talking about that sprinkled through some takes today but yeah i mean you and i i think we weren't even down on healer's hawk during the set review but we were like is this in the top three commons is this the second best common but then edging it out over luminous bonds i think took uh you know a couple weeks maybe but then i think we just realized that it's what Really, both the white decks are trying to do more than cast a removal spell.
0: Yeah, I was debating putting it as the third best white common in the set review, and I just ended up not having the guts to pull the trigger because it seemed like too much of a hot take at the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, but now this is the hottest take. Healer's Hawk, best white common for sure. Number two, counter spells are actually good in this format. Now, we did a whole episode about counter counterspells Unlimited because they are actually playable in this format. So we get, what, three of them at... Uh, common and uncommon. You got TVS cover up at four mana, Sinister Sabotage at three mana, and Disdainful Stroke at two mana. And I think all three of those ended up just being fantastic cards maybe not fantastic but like you know v- varying levels of playable the surveil tacked onto sabotage the cheapness of disdainful stroke the possible wind conditions of uh devious cover up Th- these cards just all super super impressed me
0: yeah disdainful stroke was much better in this format than it was in concept of here yeah for sure well
1: because not everyone was just playing their little morphs on turn three they're actually people are actually casting expensive
0: spells this time around which takes us to take number three Double devious cover-up to loop is a real win condition for some threat-light decks. So devious cover-up uh, lets you shuffle back in four cards. And if you target your other devious cover-up, you can keep looping them infinitely. And some of the control decks in this format, like specifically it Control and Demure Control... Really, really wanted double devious cover up. I think that was, you know, once people found out was a little bit overstated and people started picking devious cover up a little too highly. I think one of the sweet things early on in the format was that you could get the devious cover ups late because people didn't know how good they were. Um, and as the format went on, I think it still was viable, certainly. I think it's a little bit less viable on Arena. One, devious cover up, I think, will do the job, but two, is definitely gives you some inevitability. And the interesting thing I think about Devious cover up is
1: that once you have the first one, seeking out the second copy becomes a lot more desirable. I think, um, which is not something you often think about counter spells because you're like, oh, I'll have one, and then I can like have you know another instant to pass with mana up for. And, and that's, I think, another reason why the counter spells are so good is that, like, you know, at four mana especially, you've got Chemistry's Insight, you've got Artful Takedown, you've got Price of Fame, like, you've got Capture Sphere, you have other things you can do for four mana. So passing the four mana up didn't often feel as much of a, like, liability as it normally would in other formats.
0: I agree. And especially Double Devious cover-up in Sealed, if you were lucky enough to open two copies of that, was really, really, really strong.
1: Oh, yeah. We'll be talking about Sealed in a little bit. Take number four, Convoke does not define green-white. So I think when the format first started out, I think that's what people thought. This is the mechanic. This is what we're trying to do. We're trying to like ramp out these fatties. And that just didn't seem to be the thing. Arboretum Elemental, Flight of Equinauts, World Soul Colossus, and unfortunately, even Siege Worm were all just a little expensive for the format. So I think the one caveat to all this is Rosemane Centaur. This was really the Convoke spell that shined, like getting a 4-mana four 4-4 four, four Vigilant or a 3-mana 4-4 four, four Vigilant by tapping one or two creatures. That felt like cheating. But the Siege Wyrm never felt super exciting, and then all those more expensive spells, I was never, never happy to put in my deck, and I was always fine to see my opponent tap out for on the other side of the battlefield.
0: Yeah, the Silesnia God draw is Healer's Hawk into Iron Shell Beetle into Rosemain Centaur. Spoiler alert. Oh, is that one of our other takes? Oh my god. <laughs> Whoops. Whoopsies. Take number five: disinformation campaign is extremely powerful, and we sort of missed on this in the set review. You were a little higher on it than I was, and I talked you down, unfortunately. <laughs> Um, I just didn't think there was going to be enough time to cast multiple disinformation campaigns in a game of limited, um, but it's already a two for one the first time you cast it. And if you get a cast it a second time, it's pretty backbreaking total bomb and sealed. But even, you know, unless you're against the most aggressive of Boros decks, and even then you're probably going to be able to cast it once. It's just ended up being a backbreaking card no fun to play against, uh, and won a lot of games.
1: Yeah. So do you think cards like this, I mean, this is just an inherent two for one. Do you think cards like this are things we should look out in the future for, even if they look slow enough or too slow that we want to think about as being perhaps stronger than than they may look at face value.
0: Yeah, I certainly think that's a takeaway. I I rated this card lowly because of how clunky it looked to me. I didn't think there was going to be time. And boy, is there time. Speaking about
1: looking clunky, but there being time, hot take number six, Experimental Frenzy is a bomb. Now, I I was really high on this from the start. And I felt like I I took it a lot. It got past me a lot. I felt like it was splashable. So I would be playing it a lot on stream. And I would have to explain to folks who were watching of and over again about like why this card was so powerful now a a bomb is maybe not in the true sense of a bomb it doesn't like win the game on the spot if it's not answered but it does things that no other card in the format can do being able to turn through your library that amount of card advantage that you get as the last card you play out of your hand is just a really really strong effect and if you don't lose the game like the turn you cast it or whatever you're probably going to be able to turn through enough value that it's going to do so much for you In the long run.
0: Yeah, it took me a little while to come around on this card. I, you know, I was thinking Chemistry's Insight was about as good or whatever. You know, I thought it wasn't, I thought it was good, but not insane. And you were like, no, it's great. You got to take it. It's a bomb. And the first time I played with it, I was like, oh (laughs) okay right i get it i mean if you go like (laughs) and then i was on board if you if you can go like spell land
1: spell i think you get it you're just like oh this is this is just drawing me so many cards
0: take number seven murmuring mystic is the best uncommon there's a lot of good uncommons there's price of fame there's lava coil there's conclave tribunal But Murmuring Mystic can run away with the game like no other card. It's difficult to kill. The five toughness is a huge mark in this format. It blocks things like Rosemain Centaur if you need it to in a pinch. It's just the whole package. It's defense. It's a win condition. It's it's I think the best uncommon in the set hands down.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think that leads us to blue is the best color in the format. Hot take number eight. Um, I think we kind of got the order of the guilds right from the start i mean maybe there was like demir and boros flipped but you know is it and demir i think are the strongest decks in the format if you can get the best versions of those decks Uh, and then boros and then golgari and selesnia on the bottom blue is just part of the two best guilds in my opinion and there's the most overlap i think between like You're happy with like a lot of blue cards in either of those decks because like, you know, the instance that have surveil on them is it is fine playing Watcher in the Mist, like both decks are probably fine playing that sort of thing. So there's a lot of good overlap. It lets you sort of like toe the line. Now, there's not a lot of overlap in those monocolor cards in much of the format, I think, but but in blue, I think you do get uh the most bang for your buck in terms of power level at common and uncommon, and in terms of flexibility.
0: Yeah, and take number nine, there are a lot of cards that are monocolored but are secretly gold cards or guild cards, however you want to think of them. So Thoughtbound Phantasm is single blue for the two-two. Really that's a Demir card. You might as well be thinking blue-black if you're taking Thoughtbound Phantasm. Things like Demir Informant, Whispering Snitch, also one color, but definitely belong in Demir. Cards like Leapfrog, Maximize Altitude, Radical Idea, all of those are strictly Is it cards. I mean, you can play Radical Idea in Demir, but it's really not going to shine there. Necrotic Wound, definitely a Golgari card. You know, despite being single black, you're almost never playing Necrotic Wound in your Demir decks. Mm -hmm. would be unusual to have enough creatures to really turn it on there. And I think one thing this did, you know, and this format really didn't, I, I don't think I think this is the format that's fallen the most flat, maybe M19 for you. But since we've started the podcast, the format was pretty narrow because a lot of the cards really only went in one of the guilds and it felt like you were really rewarded for drafting a guild. There wasn't a ton of room for creativity or flexibility in the draft. No, not at all. And I think that's partially because, you know, there were really only like five decks,
1: six if you count the gate deck. And because so many of these Quote unquote monocolored cards were not truly monocolored. Right. Hot take number 10. Getting your life total below six, and especially four against red decks, is very dangerous. Burn is a real thing in this format. So Inescapable Blaze is sort of like the red menace of the set. Always have to have that in the back of your mind about, well, if I'm gonna go to six against a red deck, that may mean going to zero. But more importantly, Sonic Assault and Direct Current, just being able to deal four damage for six mana by discarding a card is a lot of damage for just a common. And so you always had to have that in the back of your mind. Like you really had to think of your life total as being lower than it was against red decks a lot of the time, I think.
0: Yeah, I would add Cosmatronic Wave to that deck uh, that list as well. I would as well, but that's another spoiler. Oh my God, I need to be on top <laughs> of this. Next, we've got Hitchclaw Recluse is better than you think. Stopping healer talk is pretty big game for toughness means it can bounce off a Watcher in the Mist without much of an issue. It blocks a lot of the three twos that are running around in the format. This card is just a good defensive card. And if your opponent has to spend a combat trick to get through it, you're okay with that and you end up wanting creatures in the graveyard anyway in Golgari which is where Hitchclaw Recluse really shines and this is another card I think you're probably almost never playing it in Slesnia, but really goes in Golgari and does a great job yeah for sure I, I think a takeaway for me is that just reach
1: creatures are good I think we just thought that this one four was like too low statted and it wasn't like it just did enough things. And I think the biggest part of this is how strong Healer's Hawk was, that like just having a way to blank that, you'd be like, all right, well, you got to at least mentor onto it or you can't attack into it. I think that meant that Recluse is good, but like just thinking back, like the 3-5 Spider from Dominaria, the 3-4 Grazing Whiptail from Ixalan, like these, the green Reach creatures, I think are just good, solid playables in all limited formats. Number 12, in sealed Hand Disruption, Counterspells, and yes, even lockets are great. These are sort of the, I've named them the Lax tenets of sealed. I hope he doesn't mind me associating him here. Uh, but uh, he sort of posted this in our discord during the times when people were asking about sealed decks, like for mocks builds or whatever. And I think he, he was a pretty big proponent of people playing hand disruption and counter spells. And my feeling, at least in my, very limited experience with sealed is that grixis decks if you can build a grixis decks they just feel top tier because of this because they have access to counter spells and hand disruption that's so huge and just being able to pick off one thing or answer one thing or loop cover-ups or get card advantage like grixis colors do that the best
0: yeah and i think a lot of that boils down to blue is in there and blue is just the best color for sure number 13 a chamber sentry is fantastic in any deck and should rarely be passed if you're playing this as a two mana two two It's just a good card. If you're playing it as a three mana three three, it starts to be a very good card, you know, like B minus ish territory. And heaven forbid you're in the gate deck and you've got the ability to recur it. Recurring it doesn't happen quite as often as you would think. I had this in my sealed deck in the mocks with the ability to recur it, and it was pretty expensive and clunky. It won me a couple games, like being able to buy it back. But it does not happen as often as you would think. But it's still very powerful as a two mana two two or a three mana three three or even a four mana four four the first time you cast it. If you get to pick off two creatures with this, you're just insanely happy. Yeah, that ability to scale with the game is just fantastic. And I think it still goes too late. I just see this card past pack one, pick one or pack one, pick two. And I don't think that's supposed to happen. Right. You're supposed to take it out of most packs that it exists.
1: Uh-oh, that sound means that we've got our first lightning round here, Ben. Hot take number 14, we're going to rattle off some what's-the-picks here. We're going to put some cards in the arena. Deadweight versus Deadly Visit.
0: Yeah, I think pack one, pick one, you're taking Deadweight over Deadly Visit. I think in Demir. Deadweight is certainly better than Deadly Visit, but I think in Golgari, I want Deadly Visit over Deadweight a little bit later in the draft once I know I'm in Golgari.
1: Yeah. Next, Sure Strike versus Take Heart. I think I definitely want Take Heart number one over Sure Strike number one in Boros decks, and I probably want the second Take Heart over the first Sure Strike two. One mana versus two mana, if I learned anything, and I learned a lot from Ryan being on the show a couple weeks ago, is that one mana combat tricks are. Markedly better than two mana combat tricks, and I think take heart really did a lot of work in this format. Wishcoin Crab versus Demir Informant.
0: Always Wishcoin Crab, ten out of ten times.
1: Wow, I think I'm I'm on Demir Informant.
0: Are you really? Yeah. Oh, crab blocks everything. It's so good. It's the it's one of the best blockers in the format. Yeah, it's got a big butt for sure. I think Demir Informant not blocking Rosemain Centaur and the and the other four fours in the format is pretty big game. Yeah, that's fair. Next, Child of Night versus Burglar Rat. Burglar Rat all
1: day, baby. All right, Command the Storm versus Hypothesis. I
0: think this is Hypothesis 10 out of 10 times. Uh, Command the Storm didn't even really perform in Boros. So I think Command the Storm is really like almost an is it card because you'd rather just have a 4 2 haste with Mentor than Command the Storm in Boros. And I think. And is it you want hypothesis over Command the Storm? Almost always, except Command the Storm can deal with some things that Hypothesis can't. Like five is a big number, so maybe you're citing it in, or maybe you want one copy of Command the Storm. But I think, in general, Hypothesis is a much better card. Parhelion Patrol
1: versus Rubbled Up Boar. Parhelion Patrol for me. I just want creatures that say
0: Mentor. I just don't care. Give me either of them, and I'll play it in my four-drop slot.
1: <laughs> crawl foragers versus vigor spore worm.
0: I think this is crawl foragers most of the time, but I do want one copy of vigor spore worm in most of my Golgari decks, especially if I've got a glaive of the guild pact. Next, whisper agent versus watcher in the mist. Oh, this is so tough. Uh, pack one, pick one. I'm taking watcher, but. There are definitely times
1: once my curve considerations come in play where I could definitely see taking Whisper Agent. Devious Cover-Up versus
0: Sinister Sabotage. I think Sinister Sabotage is better than Devious Cover-Up, but it's close. Next. Devcaran dissident versus Iron Shell Beetle. I mean, who cares? I think
1: Iron Shell Beetle for Selesnia, Dissident for Golgari. I think that's probably true, yeah. But I they they're mostly interchangeable for me.
0: I think Iron Shell Beetle goes up in value once you have some Healers Hawks. If your Selesnia deck doesn't have Healer's Hawks, I could even see wanting dissident over the Iron Shell Beetle there too. All right, that concludes our lightning round, takes us on to number 15, Glaive of the Guild Pact is the sixth deck in the format, the gate deck, the Glaive deck, whatever you want to think of it. Uh, We sort of discovered this, you know, about two weeks into the format or so, maybe once I realized how busted Glaive was, I just took losing to it a couple times when I realized how powerful it was, like that that was the card I was losing to. And I thought maybe there's something here. Um, And I think it really lets green decks compete in the late game with some of the you know the busted demir decks and the busted is it decks so having you know in your golgari deck having four gates and a glaive of the guild pack turns each one of your derpy hitchclaw recluses or your generous stray into a threat that the is it or demir deck has to answer and you can just churn through all of their removal and really grind them out in the late game when that's what they're trying to do to you And I think that was really where Glaive shined, not even necessarily so much in a five color control deck, but I think it was a green card and was very strong in Celestia and Golgari. And especially because you were often incentivized to splash in those decks anyway, and just made every creature in your deck much better. Yeah.
1: Glaive of the Guild Pack is life. Number 16, Guildmages Forum is a higher pick than you think. It took me a few weeks longer than I would have liked to realize this. Um, You probably want about five or six gold creatures for it to be worth including It's a strong card. I mean, just having a land that lets you add counters, like a land that is a spell, is very powerful. And we talk about taking lands highly all the time in Limited because they increase the number of cards that you've drafted that you get to include in your deck, which makes your deck better. And this being like a Shimmering Grotto that had Upside was actually pretty good, especially if you were in a three or four color deck. Um, But doing it with the sort of hybrid mana cards, like Vernadi Shieldmate, Fresh-Faced Recruit, was really strong, and getting a 3-3 Sky Knight Legionnaire was big game.
0: Yeah, that all sounds sweet. I've never played Guildmages for him. I never never saw it much, and I didn't have the opportunity to pick it. Even, even now, I don't think I've seen it that much, but I remember you talking about that, and I always had an eye out for it. And I can especially see turning the early two drops into more relevant late-game cards later in the game being really powerful. Number 17, 5-Toughness is a pretty big magic number in this format. I remember early on, like the first week or so, not really feeling like I knew what the magic number was, which is pretty unusual for the beginning of the format. That's something I like to try to figure out pretty early on. But I think it ended up being five, largely because a lot of the common removal spells only dealt with four toughness things. So Artful Takedown, Hypothesizzle, Lava Coil, all only did four damage or minus four toughness. So I think that led to a couple things. Wish Coin Crab was a lot better. Douser of Lights was a lot better at common because they really couldn't be dealt with easily and they blocked super, super well. And also things with four power, like Rosemain Centaur couldn't attack through the stuff with five toughness. I think that ended up being the defining number of the format.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, I think people will be like, oh, Command the Storm, but people weren't really playing Command the Storm because it was kind of clunky. So that also sort of got knocked off the list as well. Number 18, there's a lot of removal in this format, so you need more finishers in your control decks. There's a lot of common removal, luminous bonds, capture sphere, deadly visit, hypothesis, even command the storm sometimes. They're all at common. So we're not even talking about counter magic. We're not even talking about the uncommon removal spells. There's just a lot that exists. And so I found myself in controlling Is it or Demir decks feeling like, you know, I'm, I'm often sort of not a big proponent of like, well, what are your win conditions? I'm like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll win the game. Don't worry about it. But I felt like in Demir decks, I needed that. That second dowser of lights. I needed that second watcher in the mist. Just something that I could rely on after the dust settled to finish the game for me.
0: Yeah, and that's especially where the double devious cover up came in because you could get back your wind conditions, or even sometimes one devious cover up was enough. Right. Yeah. Number nineteen, Cosmatronic Wave means you should trade off aggressively against red decks. A pretty common play pattern. I've been playing a lot of arena, a lot of best of one. Pretty common play pattern is for Boros to get in, you know, like 9, 12 damage and then the board stalls out against Selesnya or Demir or whatever. And you're just waiting to top deck your Cosmatronic wave and kill your opponent. I'm pretty happy running one cosmetronic wave. Maybe even two in my arena decks. I think it's just a good card in the format. I think it makes Boros even more of a menace than it would normally be. And if you're trying to play against Cosmatronic Wave, if you're against Boros, you want to actively trade off creatures if you're worried about them having a cosmotronic Wave. Absolutely. Number 20, Muse Drake is not
1: worth a card. Now, I obviously don't mean this all the time, but in the, in a general sense, one, because your four-drop slot, I think it's fairly clogged in Demir, which is where you would want to play this card. I don't think it is it as particularly interested in this card at all, but you've just got too many things that are better to do at four mana. Like you'd play wish coin crab over this all day, every day. And I think this also sort of speaks to a larger point, which is that three twos are good in this format. So the spinal centipedes, the whisper agents of the world, which makes one threes worse because they don't block as many things, and so if one threes become worse, like Muse Drake, then two ones also become better, Um, and two ones become better because they can then trade with the three twos. It's sort of this like weird cycle, but I think that was what we found early on in the format, and I think that remained true.
0: Were you on Muse Drake over Wishcoin Crab at the beginning of the format? Probably, yeah. I definitely was. I remember starting Muse Drake in my Demir decks and maybe even my Izutex. I don't know, but definitely blue decks. And I just kept citing it out for Wishcoin Crab. And then all of a sudden I was like, this is stupid. Wishcoin Crab is just better. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) like about a week into the format. And then I just started playing Wishcoin Crab and I have not played many Muse Drakes since. (laughs) Number 21, Crushing Canopy looks like it's main deck material in this format, but I think you have better options. There's plenty of removal and not a ton of flying menaces except Healer's Hawk. Um, And it really goes it shores up Golgari, but you would just rather have Hitchclaw recluse as a creature because you really want creatures in your Golgari deck because of undergrowth. So there's just not really a place for crushing canopy in the format. It can do some work out of the sideboard. You know, if you see your opponent has a bunch of watchers in the mist or whatever, but I think by and large, you're starting crushing canopy in the sideboard. I think if there were more playable auras this would have been main deck material. But all the like the
1: aura buffs like Maniacal Rage or Candlelight Vigil were just kind of underpowered and underwhelming. So I think that's, that's sort of what maybe tipped this into sideboard material.
0: I will say Crushing Canopy is pretty strong and sealed, and I think probably should be main decked there. One of the big reasons my mox pool was successful was that I had four crushing canopy in the sideboard, and I sighted all four of them in a couple different times during the tournament. Yeah, I, I was watching those games.
1: That was insane. I was like, this can't be right. But you used all four of them one game, I think. Yeah,
0: it was just bonkers.
1: Number 22, surveil is just as powerful as we all thought it would be, maybe even more. I think the fact that it had the most instances and payoffs of its keyword at common was the leader of this. I mean, obviously, surveil, scry, card selection, whatever, is very strong in general and limited. It leads to you being able to play a game of magic most often. I think the thing that I sort of missed because it was so predominant was the ability to chain Surveil together to like Surveil 2, bin a card, top a card with Surveil, then Surveil 2 again or whatever. That sort of thing that Demir decks were able to do was really, really tough to
0: combat. Yeah. Once you hit your deadly visit, you just never were drawing another land unless you wanted to. Yeah. Number 23, Golgaria and Selesnya are quite playable and even good if you're the only drafter at your table. I think these guilds got a pretty bad rap at the start of the format, like the Madison draft camp, Dustin Stern, and a bunch of people just came out saying that green and Golgari and Selesnya were kind of unplayable. And I just don't think that ended up being the case. The decks relied a lot on uncommons and rares to really be good. But if you were the only drafter, in your seat at the table in that guild, you were going to get those uncommons and rares. And then I do think your deck was pretty good. Green's commons were weak, but I do think even like common and uncommon based versions of these, especially if you got the CCDD uncommons were viable. I don't think you had to have rares to win. And I, I'm i happy right now drafting Golgaria or Silesnia. Yeah, I agree with that.
1: I think a lot of good drafters out there, their best win rates were with green white because they were only really drafting it when it was open. And so when it was open, they were getting these busted green white decks because no one at the table wanted those cards. Um, So I think that that alone makes me feel like, yep, these are just good decks and you should draft them if they're open.
0: Yeah, my highest win rate was with Golgari still even now.
1: Number 24, you should be taking gates over most commons that aren't in the top three. Look, we talk about this a lot. We talk about this when we talk about cube or with master sets. When you have the ability to take lands, it makes your deck Better, You get to include more draft picks in your deck which makes your deck stronger. You get good mana. So even if you're just in a two color deck, you get better mana. You get to open up splashes either by the gates that you have access to those colors, or if you're like making your base two color mana base better, then you can add a couple off color lands. Uh, and it opens up taking Gates Matter cards, and those are pretty big game. If we think about Glaive of the Guild Pact, we think about Gatekeeper Gargoyle, we think about Chamber Sentry as sort of a Gates Matters card, like all of those things get better the more uh, you have access to multicolor lands.
0: Number 25, best of one on Arena is either like a play aggro format or you're playing a deck that beats aggro format. I think the meta is a lot narrower. Yeah because there's a higher concentration of Boros aggro and Selesnya aggro. So you're either playing one of those decks or you're building your deck in mind to be able to beat those decks in game one. I think auras are a lot more common. There's a lot more maniacal rages running around. There's candlelight vigils running around. One toughness creatures I think are pretty prevalent. So Cosmatronic Wave and Mephitic Vapors both go up in value a little bit. Um, but it's definitely a different metagame and it takes a little bit of getting used to. I, I draft differently on Arena than I do uh, in pod on Magic Online. Number
1: 26, Guilds summit is not great even in the gate deck wah wah so your deck is usually already full of enough value creatures like these decks are usually base green so they're like green black or green white and then splashing a bunch so you've got a bunch of these value creatures that that green provides like hitchclaw recluse or portcullis vine or you're playing burglar rats or generous stray whatever and you've got reasons to splash that a do nothing play like guild summit early in the game isn't really where you want to be. So I, I could see playing it as like a, a very high top end. But ideally, if you're in this deck, you've got good top end already, because you have access to all the colors and you've been passed a bomb or opened a bomb or whatever. And I just don't think that this
0: kind of card is
1: where you want to be at. Like I would play a chemist's insight over guild summit all day, every day in the gate deck.
0: I agree. You nailed that in our set review. I was high on guild summit and rapidly came down. Number 27, bardis bats is much better in best of War on arena than in best of three on mtgo and this is a hard to put a finger on i don't really know why but i'd been thinking this and i had won a bunch with just barters and bats going uncontested in best of one and then i saw ari lax tweet this Mm -hmm. also and i was thinking yeah like why and he was also just wondering like why and i think there's a little bit less hitchclaw recluses running around for some reason um and people just don't have flying defense necessarily and i think the bots take removal highly so there's a little bit less removal to go around for everyone and it's a three power i mean it's phantom menace if your opponent doesn't have removal for it or a hitchclaw recluse which is a strong card or phantom phantom monster not phantom star wars episode one um (laughs) partisan bats (laughs) yeah yeah but it really is and i'm pretty happy including this in my Golgari, maybe even a Demir deck on yeah that makes sense to me Number 28, Gird for
1: Battle is good in aggro decks and should be picked accordingly. All hail aggro optimism from Ryan Sachs. Uh, If you haven't listened to that episode, please, please do. Huge level up for both me and Ben, and I think for a lot of our listeners. And I think this really uh, was, uh, this is a pretty big way to highlight the, the points he was talking about of like, this is a one mana card that really enables a lot of damage output as he put it. Um, and I think that especially has to do with the fact that it enables attacks. It enables attacks with mentor creatures. So often this is one mana, put three plus one plus one counters on two creatures or like distributed among two creatures. Um, so I think this is a, a really strong card and can snowball games for only one mana.
0: Yeah. And I think you should be looking to play this in your decks, right? And yes. I think prior to that episode, both you and I were not looking to play this card, nope, but I really see it in a totally different light. Yeah, I do as well. And I think that that ties back to like growing up on limited resources and the R's are bad. Don't get two for one mentality. And I think like learning that initially is super, super, super important. And now that you and I are both a little bit better players, I think moving past that and knowing when to play cards like Gird for Battle or Maniacal Rage or whatever is really important too. I think that also has to do with the evolution of limited in general is that like removal is getting worse. Yeah. That makes sense. Number 29, Demir aggro is a real deck and is probably the best version of Demir, but relies heavily on Uncommon so you don't get there a lot. Specifically, Thoughtbound Phantasm, Demir Spy Bug, and Night vale Sprite are sort of the trifecta at Uncommon. If you can curve Thoughtbound Phantasm in a vale Sprite or like Thoughtbound Phantasm in a Demir Spybug in a Night vale Sprite. Just getting a start and growing your Thoughtbound Phantasm to where it can attack or to where your Demir Spybug is a real menace, no pun intended. Um, those cards are all great together and a common Darkblade Agent and Unexplained Disappearance are key pieces of this deck. So you're just trying to kind of get ahead, stay ahead with your Darkblade Agents and have your creatures grow while you're filtering your draw steps, which just gets out of hand rapidly. And then any removal pretty much closes out the game. I'm, I'm I'm sort of salivating just
1: thinking about that start of like Phantasm into Sprite into Spybug, so good. All right, n- number thirty, Affectionate Indric is the best green uncommon. So I think there's a lot of considerations here. I think you may have some feelings about differences in terms of drafting on Arena versus drafting on MTGO because of the prevalence of Healers Hawk. Maybe Crawl Harpooners getting a little bit of a a boost, but uh, I think Affectionate Indric being like a removal spell in green being splashable. All really led to it being a pretty strong card. You know, I think in Golgaria, it's a nice two for one. That's all you want all day out of your cards. And uh, I think it's pretty strong. You know, District Guide is also there as like a, a, a strong thing. I think that's the triumvirate of green uncommons, But I think Affection to Indric just really edges those other two out for me.
0: Yeah, I think I agree that indrick is the best. Crawl Harpooner goes up a lot in best of one on Arena. Being able to pick off your opponent's Healer's Hawk, or Rock Charger or Night Veil Sprite is pretty, pretty big game. Number 31, two color decks solidly in a guild are some of the best decks in the format. And I think this is especially true in best of one arena. I think you really get punished for splashing or playing like, you know, heaven forbid the four color glaive deck. I don't really think is where you want to be in best of three. You can afford to lose a game to your mana and still come out on top. But every game loss really counts against you in best of one. So I'm trying very hard to play like two color pair, no splash if I can get away with it. Um, there really aren't off color decks in the format. You know, you, there was talk of a blue, white mentor deck, like a flyers mentor deck and black red. They never really came together. And I think they weren't great. There were just too many good commons and uncommons that were gold in the guilds that highly incentivized you to play that guild. Agreed. Number 32, the good one drops are great. Great. Healer's Hawk and
1: Goblin Banneret, and the bad one drops are nigh unplayable. Hasda Marshall hunted witness and torch Courier career should rarely be put in your deck. I think if you've got like a number, if you've got like two or three of the two drop mentor creatures, then maybe you can start to like, feel like you need some filler one drops, but the delta between the two good ones and the three bad ones is huge.
0: Yes, I am pretty unhappy if I end up with Hasta Marshall, Hunted Witness, or Torch Courier in my deck. Number 33, 10th District Guard is not a second pick. Uh-oh. This is a nod to the Pro Tour. Uh, this got taken second at the Pro Tour by Jeremy Desani, right? Yep. And I think, you know, just everyone was talking about the pick. It is a fine two drop. You'll play it in your Boros decks. It can enable some attacks, but nowhere near second pick. No, not at all. Number 34, Selective
1: Snare is a powerful sideboard card against white decks in the format. And I think that should not be overlooked. I think I was doing this a lot for the first like month of the format. But there is, if you do look at creature types, there's a lot of humans in Boros, which is pretty big game to be able to like bounce three of them in one fell swoop. And bouncing a couple of convoked siegeworms, or like a siege worm and a vigor spore worm, feels really good. You can get a lot of tempo advantage out of Selective Snare against certain decks in the format.
0: Yeah, I, that also is something I've played out of the sideboard and been pretty happy with. Number 35, the four drops in Boros are all fairly interchangeable. I think you generally want things with Mentor over things without, like maybe you prefer parhelion Patrol and Hammer Dropper slightly, but Rubble Belt Boar, Inspiring Unicorn, all fine cards. I think, you know, none of these really took the lead and you were fine playing whatever. You could hand me one, put it in my Boros deck, and I wouldn't really care.
1: Inspiring Unicorn feels the worst among these and i i can't really pin down why like i've lost to it but i'm generally when it feels bad it feels really bad like a four mana two two just doesn't do anything
0: yeah i absolutely agree i think it's a little bit more of a slesnia card than it is a boros card mm. but I, you know i've lost to it out of my boros opponents as well but it just it either does a lot or not very much and the times when it does a lot you were probably already winning the game as well right
1: it's, it feels like one of those other three four drops would have done the same thing as well
0: right and those do a little bit more when you're not winning correct
1: number 36 your win percentage will go up if you never put barrier of bones in your deck but it has surveil no not good enough uh, but you can sacrifice it to Portcullis Vine. fine nope not worth it but you can sacrifice it to plague crafter still not worth it stop putting bad cards in your deck to make your good cards better just play good cards every time i see my opponent play barrier of bones i'm like great they mulliganed perfect
0: yep I I have a confession. I played Berger Bones for the first time on Arena last night, and it felt terrible.
1: I've played the card before, but I'm never happy about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think people are looking for a reason to play it, and I think you should just not put it in your deck. Number 37, Barging Sergeant is the best five drop in Boros at common. Command the Storm is a little bit too expensive. You're often going to be trading down on mana when you cast Command the Storm. And there's also Intrusive Pack Beast, which people were really high on at the start of the format. Not me. Correctly. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, I was pretty low on that at the start of the format. Yeah. Barging Sergeant is just such a house coming down as a hasting card that puts a plus one plus one counter on a creature. You know, if you're and heaven forbid you're in a race, it just totally swings a race in your your favor. Uh, Andrew Cunio wrecked me with Barging Sergeant on Arena yesterday, two days ago. Oh. I'm now 0 for three against pros on Arena. I've lost Yikes. to Cunio, Cunio, Sam Black and Ben Stark. But really cool to get a play against the pros on Arena. Pretty yeah. sweet.
1: For sure. Well, and it's also probably cool for them to get to play against a podcast host.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah. I think the thing that I missed about Barging Sergeant, and I was one of the people who was fooled by Pack Beast, is that I was like, well, it's an X2 for five mana, so like it's going to be easily trade-off with a bull or whatever. But that just didn't end up mattering because A, the element of surprise, and B, the fact that you still got to enable an attack usually with another creature. felt like it was like two haste creatures. I don't know, it just really did a lot of work. It was a huge overperformer. Number 38, Selesnia should be built as a low-to-the-ground aggro deck or rares.deck, and there isn't much room in between. I feel like most of the time I felt like it was a like five or six rare deck that just looked busted because you were the only Selesnia drafter at the table. But the times when you wanted to be in that deck and piecing together with commons, like you get to go Healer's Hawk into Iron Shell Beetle, attacking with a 2-2 lifelinker, then convoke out a Rosemane Centaur on three, and now you've just got this ridiculous board of a the Hawk, and the 4-4, and I think that's the, like, busted start Selesny was trying to do.
0: That sound means we've hit lightning round number two, hashtag too cute or hashtag too strong. First up, we got Vidalkin Mesmerist plus Invert. Uh,
1: You know, I'm going to say too cute. I-, I always felt like people wanted Invert invent plus Mesmerist to work, and I wasn't a huge fan of either of these cards. Next up, Knive... Plus Dazzling Lights, shrink their creature and then steal it. What do you think?
0: Too strong, baby. I've had that combo before. And if you're taking like a five, six mana card with that, I think you're happy to spend two cards. And oftentimes you care about the surveil from the Dazzling Lights. It feels like a pretty big blowout. Agreed next swath cutter giant plus status did you ever get to live that dream i never got to live this dream how do
1: you live this dream without making your deck bad i think this is too cute
0: uh yeah i've also never lived this dream but it does seem like too strong if you can manage to do it sure
1: but just yeah i mean yes i guess the thing that you get to do with it is way too strong like play to your opponent's board but can you ever build a deck where both of these cards are included and then the deck isn't terrible i think you could in a four color gate right, too strong i'm convinced. Ocran assassin plus vigor spore worm sort of a similar idea here.
0: I think this is too cute I, I don't know you're uh, I mean if you get to do it It's too strong But I think the times that you get to do it your opponent can probably see it coming Like if you've got an Ocran assassin out on the battlefield, that's always in the back of your mind Like what are they gonna do to this to try to blow me out and you can make attacks to mitigate it? I, I think ultimately this is too cute. I, I think they're both low-powered cards next crawl harpooner and gravitic punch
1: again a green card and a red card I think this just has to be too cute. There's no way that this is too much setup cost plus playing like two cards that aren't in a a guild that exists in this format. Lastly, Dawn of Hope plus Divine Visitation.
0: I think this is too strong. strong. Divine (laughs) Divine Visitation, if you've got plenty of ways to make tokens, is a very real card. And Dawn of Hope is just a great card in and of itself. I think this, this is definitely too strong. Agreed. Number
1: 40, Centaur Peacemaker is a five-color gate deck card, not a Selesnya card. There's a lot of cards in this format like that. I feel like there's a lot of cards that are deceptive, especially green's common uh, guild cards, like Sumala Woodshaper never felt like a card I wanted in Selesnya, but was a card I was happy playing in my green-white-based gate decks or even my green-black-based gate decks. Um, Capture Sphere felt like a card that like wasn't really at home in either blue guild or like you'd play it, but it was sort of an underwhelming include, but was pretty good in a gate deck because it was splashable. Um, I just think there's a lot of cards out there that fit in the gate deck much more than they fit in their, their respective guilds.
0: Yeah, I agree. Number 41, Jumpstart cards overperformed from our initial evaluation. I just thought I would never put cards like Maximize Altitude in my deck at the start of the format, and especially Sonic Assault, I think, was the biggest missed. Like, that just looked like, eh, is this card like gonna be worth a card? And boy, was it worth a card, especially in the Is It Aggro decks. I think ultimately it ended up being a little overrated, but. It does serious work, and the ability to chain jumpstart cards together was something we missed, I think, like being able to cast Sonic Assault, pitch your other Sonic Assault to your first Sonic Assault, or, you know, Chemister's Insight, pitch a Sonic Assault to jumpstart it. It just gave you so much selection and really prevented you from flooding yeah. out. Beacon Bolt, pitch another spell
1: to add to your spell count for the Beacon Bolt. Like I just think there's a, there was a, Ooh, a baby. lot going on with jumpstart that we kind of missed. Forty-two, Vigor Spore Worm plus Menace equals unblockable. This was a pretty cool interaction. It's always sad to see opponents on like Magic Online shatter <laughs> Just paws try to block and, like a go couple to block. times. Yeah. Like try and block, type like ellipsis in chat, go to block again, like Uh, you can get Menace on vigor Worm from Glaive of the Guild Pact or the second activation of Swarm Guild Mage, but this is definitely a really sweet interaction to look out for, and I have won many games by, like, that I have no business winning by just equipping Glaive to vigor Worm and, like, attacking my opponent for nine out of nowhere.
0: Yep. Number 43, cards that go way too late in best of one on Arena due to the bots. Crawl Foragers, Centaur Peacemaker, Rosemane Centaur, Douser of Lights, rhizome lurcher and pretty much any of the green low drop creatures i think you can almost always audible into green or maybe even force selesnia if you want to in best of one on arena and i think you know boros also may be potentially forcible on arena probably a little less so than the other two but definitely there are some cards that go way 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 too late Barging Sergeant is another one. Uh, If you're in Boros, that goes pretty late in best of one on Arena. And I think that's just a great card in Boros.
1: Number 44, Prey Upon is not a good magic card in 2018 and beyond, I think. I think you're really a big proponent of like fight spells that do not boost power and toughness are not good. And I think even... People being like, well, but prey upon is a, only a single mana. It's like, it's just still not worth it. I think even in Ultimate Masters, when we thought it was going to do work because of all the instances of heroic, it just didn't. It just and never ended up being like a good include in like green, white or green, red. So I think moving forward, we're going to be on a like, prove me wrong, but let's start with green fight spells that do not boost power and toughness are not
0: good. Could not agree more. Number 45, Hellkite Whelp is just not good in this format, and it's such a powerful-looking magic card. Yeah. I think there's several things that are contributing that. There's a lot of good five drops in the format. And it didn't punish the X-1s quite as much because it was a really big late game play. So a lot of times the X-1s had already done their work. Like there aren't really utility things with one toughness. They're all beaters from Boros. Right. And by that time, they often had mentor counters on them by the time the Hellkite Welp came down. This just really, I think, missed the mark. You didn't want it in your Boros deck. You wanted Barging Sergeant or probably even Intrusive Pack Beast over this in your Boros decks. And it just didn't really have a home in Is it either because you wanted the five mana spells. Like you wanted Hypothesizzle. Over Hellkite while your is at decks.
1: Do you think that five mana, three, three flyers are just not as good in limited anymore?
0: Uh, probably. I mean, they're certainly worse, but I think, you know, like an hour of devastation, yeah. that five mana, three, three gained three life was just outstanding. So I don't know that. But
1: that was because it gained three life. That was like the biggest selling point for that card.
0: Sure. Just like a generic. I mean, think about we've had Cloud Reader, Sphinx, and Watcher in the Mist in, in recent right. sites. I mean, those are way overpowered. Yeah. So certainly Vanilla 5-mana 3-3 three, three Flyer is not good in Limited anymore. Yeah, I think so.
1: So then I think just like thinking about how that ability sort of stacks up. And I think that point you made, I think, is huge about there not being utility creatures. All right, we're in the home stretch here, Ben. Let's wrap these off. Number 46, Golgari is a mid-range deck that needs Splashed Card Draw, Glaive, or Busted Rares to compete in the late game with Demir. Or is it? If you have those things, it's good. So it already has the early game, right? You're already set up with your one mana, two mana, and three mana creatures. So it's going to be well set up against aggro decks, assuming you can deal with healer's hawk, hashtag hitchclaw recluse for life. So you want to give yourself game against control decks. Graveyard Recursion, I think, also helped a lot with this. So looking at Golgari Finebroker, Gruesome Menagerie, and Vivid Revival as ways to get things back, that's a sort of uh, good card advantage
0: engine as well. Number 47, Boros could compete well into the late game because Mentor rewarded setting up key attacks for a big advantage. I think that's one of the most... Unfair or unfun things about Mentor was that sometimes you just get free wins because you go one drop into two drop Mentor into three drop Mentor and your opponent just has stumbles or whatever and you just absolutely run away with the game. But you can go into turn 10, turn 11, turn 12 against Demir and Selesnia decks. There's a couple reasons for that. One, the board can stall out and you can win with Cosmotronic Wave. But Mentor also just lets you decide, you know, if your opponent ever tries to turn the corner, and they do it just a little bit too soon, you punish them so hard if you get good attacks with two or three mentor creatures. And, you know, sometimes even just drawing a single combat trick, like pre-combating a sure strike on one of your mentor creatures enabled attacks for like three creatures that weren't there. So it's so hard for decks to turn the corner against mentor and then cosmetronic wave being in the format too, Incentivizes your opponent to not just let the board turn into a giant stall. So it's really tough, and Boros has a lot of game, you know, into turn 10 plus. Number
1: 48, Garrison Sergeant is a nice failsafe for some Boros slash is it drafts gone wrong. So I did draft Big Boros once and trophied. I don't think the deck comes up all that often, but Garrison Sergeant paired up with Glaive of the Guild Pact, we just love that card so much, or Maximize Altitude. Or even Street Riot, like we saw at the Pro Tour, though I'm not sure how good that is. That can steal some wins. So I think Garrison Sargent is a pretty big key to those like red-white, red-blue decks
0: gone awry and can steal some wins for you. Yeah. Number 49, Piston Fist Cyclops and Sonic Assault were both overrated and overdrafted almost three weeks into the format you know, you just couldn't get it on MTGO. And I think it's still really hard to get it on Arena. Every once in a while, I bump into like a very nuts it deck, but by and large, you don't play against it much in best of one on Arena. And I think these cards were initially underrated, and then people lost to them a bunch and then started picking them way too high. Like people were third picking, fourth picking Sonic Assault. And that's not when the card's good. The card's good when you get it seventh, eighth on the wheel. And Piston Fist Cyclops really needed like A critical mass of sonic assaults and other good is it cards to be good and you know if you third pick or fourth pick a piston fist cyclops and then you get cut out of is it you just all of a sudden have no picks that are worthwhile in any other deck so it was just a pretty dangerous thing to try to draft and piston Fist cyclops especially
1: was so very much an is it card you know it's a hybrid mana card but you can't play that in boros you can't play that in demir like you need to be in is it for that card to be good Mm -hmm. and lastly number 50 Reading signals is especially important in formats where there aren't ten viable color pairs to draft. I think this was my biggest takeaway from this format. Um, I think that was sort of the the biggest level up and the most fun. And then I think it's why it's sort of the format got a little stale. But realizing what the pick orders were, how to read signals, how to move off of your first few picks when you were getting smacked in the face with a Selesnya deck or a Boros deck or whatever, and also noticing the cards on the wheel. I think were all really, really important to figuring out what was open. You know, when you're getting those late green cards, that probably means that, People at your table are undervaluing green again when you're getting the late barging sergeants or hammer droppers. Well, maybe Boros is where you're supposed to be, that sort of thing. Like, I don't think I've ever paid attention to picks 9 plus in pack 1 so much than I have in Guilds of Ravnica.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think the wheel was so critical in this format. And it was cool to figure that out and to figure out sort of what the signals were, even though they were really weak signals on the wheel or even looking at like, you know, one of the things we did was take a look at the density of cards, like maybe you saw right four green cards, and then you were supposed to try to move into Golgari or Selesnya. That was a cool piece of this puzzle. But again, the format did get stale, like pretty quickly, I was kind of done after like, 40 50 drafts on magic online yeah I've, the re, arena has rekindled the fire i'm shocked. climbing towards mythic <laughs> honestly I'm, I'm so shocked
1: is it fun for you i was watching your stream last night you you're having fun doing the the best of ones
0: yeah i mean it's not like the best magic i've ever played in my life but it's fine i mean i'd like playing on arena i like streaming arena I would enjoy playing cube more, but there's no, it feels like there's a goal with mythic rank out there. And I'm a very goal oriented person uh-huh. and there's no goal with cube drafts. Like I've done it all. Nobody's going to care if I get 10 trophies or whatever. Like, but it would be sweet to say I'm like mythic rank. There's, there's some part of that that really appeals to me as an individual. I
1: feel like an old man. <laughs> these days, ben. I feel like I'm getting technologies passing
0: me by. I'm like, I just want,
1: I just want to draft cube.
0: <laughs> you're going to get a sweet new computer and you're going to start jamming some arena drafts. And yeah. It's going to be great.
1: I think a lot, of these takeaways in terms of like the narrow drafting, the figuring out the cards on the wheel is really going to give you and me and our listeners a leg up in Ravnica allegiance.
0: Oh, I absolutely agree. I'm a little worried that it's going to be super similar to this and yes. it's going to get even more stale quickly mm-hmm. but hopefully that's not the case hopefully they found a way to mix it up or hopefully splashing is better or more incentivized there's more overlap i don't know we'll have to see
1: yeah we'll definitely see w- what the the
0: quirks are it's so funny because i don't remember
1: i mean i wasn't drafting as much when like return to ravnica and Gay crash came out but i don't remember feeling that way about those formats about them being stale i mean Gay crash was like hyper aggro but even then like there was, i really liked Drafting the Simic Evolve deck or whatever. I thought that was a and that was a good deck in the format. But I just I don't remember it getting as stale as
0: quickly. The only thing I remember about the gate crash block was that Boros was busted and Orzov was busted. So sometimes even when you tried to cut Boros and Orzov, your left-hand neighbor would like move in underneath you in pack two, which just felt miserable.
1: Anyway, so I I do look forward to you know, figuring out Ravnica allegiance with the discord, figuring it out with you. And I think bringing a lot of what we learned from Guild of Ravnica to that set is going to help us get a leg up. Yeah. All right. Ben, it's our first full year of podcasting together. Do you think we'll we'll stick it out for another one? Oh, absolutely. We will be sticking it out for another one. We're not going anywhere, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, uh, it's been a true pleasure to get to grow the show with you. It's been a true pleasure to get to grow the show with our listeners, with our discord. Um, and I'm really looking forward to doing some more cool stuff in 2019.
0: Yeah, we've got our next stretch goal coming up. Uh, As soon as we hit $750 an episode, we'll be getting the Lords of Limited merchandise out for you. So I think that would be a big benchmark for me for the podcast is to try to get to the point Uh, where we're making merchandise and selling merchandise. I want some sweet Lords of Limited swag. Yeah, I want some swag as well. And then we're also
1: uh, in talks for doing some sort of draft camp style event in GP Vegas in the summer. So please be on the lookout for info about that or slash send us ideas about that because we're really just brainstorming at this point. But that's a that's a pretty big goal I have for the show is to, to do some IRL events.
0: Yeah, we are both locked for GP Vegas, and
1: you guys should lock yourselves in as well. Yeah, for sure. But more info on that to come. Ben, I hope you have a
0: fantastic new year, and I hope our listeners do as well. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. And speaking of thank yous, Salty Pretzels was in my stream for the first time in forever last night. He's the person that did our intro and outro music. Make sure you go give that a listen. Uh, You can check us out. Ben is streaming
1: arena. If you want those Guilds of Ravnica drafts, check him out at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. If you want some old man drafts of Cube, check me out at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. You can check out our showdown videos on YouTube. We've got two of those up. We're going to get another one out in January. And you can... Check us out on Twitter under our our same usernames and check out the podcast at Lords of Limited.
0: If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com.
1: Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next year uh, for another episode of Lords of Limited.
0: See you in 2019, everybody. and I really like grinding the ranked best-of-one cues, like trying to get to Mythic or whatever. Plat 2 currently... <laughs> um, I know, such a scrub. <laughs> what, what? was that noise
1: for? I thought that was like a sick brag. I'm just letting uh, just, uh, Plat 2, just casually Plat 2 over here. No big deal. Just slipping that in there. Just like, uh, just like 1850 ELO, no big deal. But anyway... Um, <laughs>